Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Well, welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. It's a church at home. I'm so glad that you've invited me and our community of faith into your living room. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, regardless of how you feel about every, you know, the way governments and people and all their opinions, this whole thing has just totally upended my world. Uh, I don't know if it's done that for you, but boy, everything from you have to stay at home to quarantining to all of the different things that are happening in businesses and companies, even churches, you know, we've really had to transition to a whole new way of trying to minister to people and disciple them and see them connect to Christ. And so, one of the ways that it's really up into my world is up until about three and a half weeks ago, I'd never even heard of Zoom. I didn't know what Zoom was, but I guess everybody's Zooming now, so we're all Zoomers. And so one of the things is I thought is that this is not really going that well. You know, people are, are doing, making all kinds of mistakes on Zooms, and I threw just a couple of these together for you real quick so that you could kind of see what, I think I've made every one of these mistakes at some point or another, so let's watch. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hey. Hello. Welcome to Sales Corp Industries' first Zoom call. <laughs> this person made themselves into a potato head, and they couldn't change back. Let's make sure everybody has clothes on. Let's make sure everybody has clothes on. It's not just for the uh, residents. That's for the staff, too. This guy's um, playing as golf. As we're moving around the community, it, it helps. Okay. Now, this isn't right, is it? Yes, and I, I recorded my own <laughs> this is when you get too close for to the a camera. dog's purpose. I think this is not right. You just don't need to be so close to the camera. School communication studies and then University of Tennessee. Uh, or something Mr. Good can Thompson, happen. I think you were late for class. I'm sorry, Dr. Haas. I, uh, it's been a while. It's been at least since 1996, <laughs> since I've been in a class. So I apologize. Isn't that great? Those are some of the, uh, the more tame ones that I could show. There's a whole bunch of others out there. I suggest you not Google them because they're getting pretty crazy. There's a whole bunch of YouTubers that are actually intentionally crashing every Zoom meeting that they can crash for no other purpose than uh, ensuing hilarity that they can post on their YouTube channel. Now, here's a couple things that I've just learned the last two weeks. These are some just basic rules that can help every Zoom meeting that you're going to have go well, okay? The first one is this. First Zoom rule meeting is wear clothes. Always wear clothes. Just make it a habit. Just say, wear clothes from the head to the toes. Wear clothes. Don't put on a nice shirt and run around in your skivvies. There's a whole bunch of videos on YouTube about people who tried that, then they stand up, and it's very embarrassing. Number two, use a special room. Don't take it on your phone and walk around so everybody sees what's going on. Just put it on your computer, do it in a room, a home office, or something like that. Post sign on the door if you have kids at home. And the great thing about this is you can kind of go ahead of time and do trial runs with your kids, practice runs, so that they know, all right? You start off with just five, 10 minutes, and then you can kind of increase it over time. Train them, hey, as long as this red sign is on the door, don't come in and interrupt mom or dad. Uh, the other thing, too, is stay away from avatars and weird backgrounds, all right? Uh, you don't want to use backgrounds that are like crazy. There's one guy, 
who used the top of the Empire State Building. And so he thought it'd be really funny to kind of lean back like he was pretending he was falling. Well, guess what? He tipped his chair over, actually fell back and hit his head. So not a good idea. Also use headphones. Headphones are great because you can put them in, you can hear better, but also what happens is you can control the volume is that it doesn't create a feedback loop. And that is if you're just listening from your computer, I learned this real quick, is that it loops out and back in through the mic and creates all kinds of echoes. And then finally, always mute your mic unless you have a question to ask or something to say. Just keep it muted. So hey, maybe these Zoom rules will help you. All I know is they have helped me be a better Zoomer. So let's be better Zoomers together. Isn't that awesome? Now, uh, to real good stuff, we're doing a series called The Best Way to Live Life. And the reason why I'm interested in doing this series is because uh, each and every day we get up in the morning, we ask ourselves a basic question, right? We ask ourselves a question, how am I going to do today? And this question I really like because it makes a huge difference in the day that you're living. And guess what? The day you live today becomes yesterday, and all your yesterdays always become the story that you tell. So what kind of story are you going to tell when you get through this? Now, I really like this question for various reasons. The first reason I like this question is because it is an orientation of your perspective. It's a hope-filled question. And how you start your day, whether with hope or despair, makes a huge difference. Now, see, each and every person has the same thing in common, regardless of our philosophy of life, our religious beliefs, our faith, our, our economic status, what language we speak. Every human being has this in common, and that is you're going to get up and you're going to face challenges unique to you. Tomorrow morning, you're going to have challenges and circumstances that are just unique to you, and you're going to have to navigate them. Now, what makes us all different is the way we choose to navigate them. Now, if you start off the day and you get up and you go, man, why is this happening to me? Why do bad things always happen to me? Well, guess what? Your day is going to be filled with despair and bad things. But if you get up in the morning and you ask yourself the question, what is the best way to live? You can become a hopeful person. That's why I love this question, because what it does, it says, regardless of my circumstance, I can navigate this in a better way than I did yesterday. Just by simply asking the question, what is the best way to live? That's why I love that question. Now, if you're taking notes at home, you can fill in those blanks. Those are the ones that are underlined. It's on your phone. Just go and download our phone app. And on the very bottom of the phone app, once it uh, loads on your phone, it'll say Sunday. You click on Sunday, then you click on notes, and then you can find the best way to live sermon notes right there. It ha also has all the verses that I talk about. Now, the other reason I like this uh, question is because it helps you seek out better things, not worse things for your day, and then it establishes priorities. Now, I don't know how aware you are of uh, some of the things our church has done to try to help people. The first thing we did is that we uh, put on our YouTube channel a new show called Foothills Live. And so every day we were just getting on there saying, okay, here's the new information. Here's the new stuff that's happening. This is what your church is doing to try to help you navigate this. We don't want you to feel isolated or alone. And so now we're doing it on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays at five o'clock. So you can go to our YouTube channel. It's always a big deal. Go there, open account, subscribe, click the little bell. There's a little bell there. And what that does is that notifies you of when a new one's up. But we bring in experts from our community of faith in all these different areas, and then they share their expertise. 
And Dale Wilson, who's a licensed therapist, counselor, been for 20 years, he came in and he said, you know, the one thing that most people don't realize is that they have a subconscious sense of they're out of control. Their back's against the wall. There's nothing they can do. And this sense of out of control gives you a low-level anxiety and makes the situation worse, not better. So I asked him a simple question. Well, how do you get out of this? And you know what he says? You get back in control. You get back in control. That's why I love this question. When you ask the question, what is the best way to live today? What you do is you can set priorities of things you can do that let you have a sense that I am not helpless, I am hopeless. I'm not helpless, I'm hopeful in this situation. There's all these things that I can do that are gonna make a difference in today. So let's set them as priorities and goals and let's get moving again. So that's why I really like this question. Now, the other thing I want to share with you today is simply this. Let's learn something about ourselves, okay? Let's learn a little something about who we are as people, and that's this. Why do I care about having a great day? I mean, really think about it. Why, what's different about us human beings where we want to say, you know, hey, I need to do something better or I need to grow and live life better or why is there a best way to live and a worse way to live? Think about this for a second. Animals don't do that. Cows don't sit out in the pasture chewing their cud going, hmm, I wonder how I could have a better life. My life lacks meaning and purpose. Cows don't ask, your pets don't ask that question. Your pets just simply look at you and go, take me for a walk, you know? So what is different about human beings? Well, I'll tell you what's different about human beings. And that is, you have a soul. That's right. It's what makes you sentient, self-aware, conscious, the capacity to think abstractly, solve problems, do things in your head. It also is what causes you to experience dissatisfaction, a lack of meaning and purpose in life. And the, what, the issue is, is that we have souls and our souls long for things. Our souls need meaning and purpose. Our souls need a sense of, of, of that we're valued, that we're productive and making contributions. All of these things are soul issues. So this is the fact that we're going to learn today about ourselves, and that's this. Fact number one is deep in the heart of every person is a longing for a good life. Now, this longing may come out in different ways. Some people have lived a really hard life. Some people are having a really hard time right now going through this global pandemic. And so they're saying, I need rest. My soul is hurting. My soul is broken. My life has been so hard. I need a break. Well, you know what Jesus said to people who need a break for their soul? Well, in Matthew, listen to the words that he spoke. Chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, this is not an egg yoke. What a yoke is, is it's a big wooden beam that's been shaped so that you can tie two oxen together so they can tow heavy 
loads. And what it does is it allows the oxen to stay on the right path. So he's saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. So what's really important is that your soul needs rest. Maybe it's weary. And Jesus Christ is there to fill the need or longing of your soul. The second thing is that some people are thirsty in life. It's like they're going after things that they're hoping will quench the thirst for their life. It's like, I, I, I'm thirsty. I need to be fulfilled. I need to be satisfied. I need to have a sense of purpose. And guess what? Everything they achieve, everything they do just isn't enough. Some people pursue relationships that way. Jesus ran into a woman and she was using romantic relationships to try to quench the thirst of her soul. She was drawing water from a well and, and bumped into Jesus and, started, and Jesus started a conversation with her and he found out or knew all this stuff about her and notice what he tells her when we try to use relationships to quench the thirst of the soul. In John chapter four, beginning with verse 13, Jesus answered her saying, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. So we try, but we're never really satisfied. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So some of us have the longing of the soul and the only water that will quench that thirst is the water that Christ brings. Finally, there's people who are like, man, I just want my life to make a, a, not only a difference, but I want it to be full. I want, I want to experience love and I, and I want to experience joy and I want to experience community and friendship and I just want to have satisfaction. I want to have a full life. Well, that is a good longing of your soul and listen to what Jesus says about it in John chapter 10. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and find pasture. Pasture is a metaphor, meaning that everything that there's need in life, they will find and discover. He says, the thief comes only to kill and to steal and destroy. So the thief comes and he tries to steal things or destroy things. When we try to go out and find the abundant life and do it in our own way, sometimes that damages people, damages our marriages, damages our children, damages our friendship, damages our, our uh, companies and our communities. And what Jesus is saying is that that's what the thief does, the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world right now is using this pandemic to do what? To steal everything from us, to kill things, kill people, but also to kill communities and kill friendships and kill um, all types of different things, to destroy, to destroy um, all the economic progress we've made. That's his goal. He just wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says something different. In the longing of your soul, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Another way of translating this phrase is, and have life abundantly. That's what the longing of your soul is all about, is that our souls is what makes us unique. Our souls long for things, and guess what? Jesus 
has an answer for every longing of your soul. And so that's the next fact that I want you to see. I want you to see it right up here where it says, for every longing of your soul, whatever it is, Jesus has the answer. That's very important to understand, but it's hard to connect those dots. It's important to understand, it's hard to connect the dots. Well, what do I mean by that. Well, here's what I mean by that. It's very uh, important to understand. It's really hard to understand the concept, why am I so dissatisfied with my job, but I keep doing it? You know, I'm dissatisfied with my job. I'm not happy with my job, but I keep doing it because, well, it supplies. But that dissatisfaction, did you know that that is actually an issue that comes from your soul? And until you satisfy your soul, you'll never find satisfaction in what you do. The other thing is this, is maybe in your relational life, in your love life, maybe you're alone. You, you would love to fall in love and you'd love to maybe be married one day and have a family and all these things, but you see you're always attracted to the wrong kind of person. You are attracted to people who bring out the worst in you, not the best in you. Well, you know what? Your relationship history is an issue of your soul and what it really longs for. Oftentimes, until you understand how to heal and satisfy your soul, you're not gonna have a lot of success in relationships. Another place where your soul, you need to connect this soul to your everyday living is found here is, why do I drink too much? Maybe, why do I do everything to excess? You see, that's an issue of the soul and the longing it has. Another one is this, is I'm married right now, but I'm married to a good person, but I just, no matter what, I don't feel loved. I don't feel valued. Or, may, or maybe you're in another situation where you don't feel loved and you don't feel valued. Well, guess what? That's an issue of your soul. Why can't you parent your children well? Why is it just an ongoing uh, struggle? And never, that's an issue of the soul. Why do you feel like life was meant for more, but you're missing out? That's an issue of your soul. Why do I have so much anxiety about this pandemic? Why, I'm, why am I so afraid? Is it that I'm really afraid of death and I just don't know why? Those are all issues that have to deal with your soul. And back to fact number two, and that is for every longing of your soul, guess what? Jesus has an answer, which now leads us to the third fact that I want you to write down for today, and it will be up here, and it's really quite amazing, and that is you get to choose. You get to choose. Much of what you are experiencing today in your life is because you have chosen a way to live. And the title of this sermon series and the title of, our, of uh, our message today is, What is the Best Way to Live? See, it's your choice. And much of what you're experiencing today is a result of what you've chosen. Now, maybe when things are going really, really well and because you're, we're living in the largest ex expansion, economic expansion of the most affluent nation in the history of the world, that's a historical fact, has kind of stopped and fallen apart, you're realizing that maybe what I was putting my faith in is not sustaining me right now. But you see, that was the result of a choice. Jesus Christ is giving you the freedom to choose 
How do I know this? Well, in the Old Testament, Joshua told the Israelite people in the book of Joshua, he says, choose this day whom you will serve. So even the people who were born in the nation of Israel had to choose whether they would follow God or not. Or not. Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 6, 38, he said, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap. Now here's a key phrase. For with the measure you use, so for the measure you choose to use, it will be measured back to you. You see, he's talking about your freedom to choose the measure. And then finally, in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says this, you will reap what you sow. Since you choose what you sow, that's what you end up reaping. So that brings us back ultimately to this question. Am I living the best way right now, today? Am I living the best way right now, today? And that's where I would like to try and help you make a decision about living the best way. First and foremost, if you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, I want to do this next phase to show you how being more devoted, more engaged in your faith is the best way you will ever live. If you're a person who has kind of just been moderately involved in your faith and you're in between, I hope what I'm about to share with you is going to motivate to show you that is not the best way to live. And then finally, all of you who are skeptical about following Jesus, maybe you're not sure, maybe you have questions, maybe you're wondering, is it really good? Or if I do follow, am I gonna turn into a weird person? So I'm hoping to show you that following Jesus, not from the biblical teaching, but just from historical record, is one of the best decisions you'll ever make and is the best way to live. So how am I gonna do that? Well, first and foremost, we're gonna talk about well-being. What happens when you choose a way of life? It results in uh, an evaluation of how well am I doing? In other words, do I feel really good about my life? So let's look at what the data says, okay? The first thing I'd like to show you, this comes from a Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index. It was taken over the course of one year. So it was um, actually longer than that, maybe probably almost not quite two years. A huge group of people, and this is what they found. If you're a moderate religious person and they identify, define moderate religious as a person who believes in God, but you don't really practice your faith. Okay, you believe, but you just kind of live everyday life like as if you always were. Your wellness uh, index, well-being index is 79.6. Then what's happening is they found a people that are non-religious. In other words, they don't want anything to do with faith or religion. They're non-spiritual people. These people had an 82.7 wellness score. Now, what's interesting about this is they say, and you can go read the study. That's why I put it up there so so in case you don't uh, believe what I'm telling you right now is that they had two problems with this, uh, getting to this number. The first one is that the data pool was smaller than everybody else. And when you have a super small data pool, you don't get really good data out of it because people can influence the outcome based on what they really want, not a, not a true evaluation, okay? The second thing is, is that the people in this group, and the reason why this num they say the number should probably be a little bit lower is because uh, on two indexes that they chart is one, do you have any bad habits? These guys charted really high. They have a lot of bad habits and they have a lot of healthy 
or health-oriented bad habits, okay? Now let's go to the last one. The highest well-being index of all was found on people who are very religious. They're very spiritual people. These are people who believe, and these are people who practice their faith. So that's very important to understand. So people who follow Jesus, they are choosing the best way to live based on hard data when it comes to well-being. All right, well, let's go to the next thing, okay? Another thing that is really important to gauge is what I call marriage success rates because 97% of all people get married at some point in their life. And here's the data from marriage success rates in the United States of America. First and foremost is the average overall, this is an aggregate number of all the data, says 66% of marriages will succeed. That means 44% of marriages don't, all right? That's a big number, uh, an aggregate number. Okay, so let's, when you dig into the data, and here's all of the studies that have dug into it, and there's a bunch more in support of those, but so a lot of people are going, man, because my parents' marriage didn't succeed, I'm really nervous about getting married, so I think we got to live together first so that we can see if we're compatible. You know, and I hear this a lot. I say, well, we want to live together to see if we're sexually compatible or if we're uh, personality compatible, okay? Well, guess what? Data says that if you cohabitate, your success rate drops to 44%, okay? So that's pretty low success rate. The other thing that happens is it says, if you have a strong faith, okay, guess what? Your success rate goes up to 78%. What's really interesting, though, is watch what happens if you have that nominal faith or you're moderate or religious, meaning you believe but you don't practice your faith. Guess what? It drops below the national average in aggregate. It's, you only have a 64%. But here's the thing that's really interesting is if you love being married and you want your marriage to succeed, regardless of what age you are when you got married, guess what? People who have a strong faith and people who attend church every week have an 86% success rate for their marriage. I call that some pretty serious, serious success all because people are not only practicing their faith at home, they're participating in a community of faith. Now, you might be thinking right now, if you're a skeptical person, and I, I get it, that's cool, is that, well, that has to do with well-being, which is kind of a self-evaluation tool. That has to do with marriage. That's cool. That's relational stuff. Maybe faith has an impact on relationships. But I'm really into science, and I believe in hard facts, and I believe in all that kind of stuff. And the problem with pursuing Jesus is, you know, it just seems to me to not be a highly intelligent pursuit, and that's just not the best way to live. Well, let's look at the facts. Let's look at, over the last 100 years, the Nobel Prize laureates or the Nobel Prize winners. And notice this. In literature, 50% of all Nobel Prize winners identified as Christian. In economics, 54% of all winners over the last 100 years identified as Christians. In medicine, 62%. Now, some people are going to say, well, that's literature and economics and medicine. Those aren't as hard sciences. Okay, what about physics? That's a pretty darn hard science. 65% identified as Christians. 75% of them identified as Christians who won in chemistry. And here's the thing is some people will say, well, Christianity has caused all these wars and conflict. Well, guess what? In the Nobel Prize for Peace, 78% 
identify as Christians. What does that tell you? That tells you that they're choosing a way of life that encourages, does not discourage literature, economics, medicine, physics, chemistry, and ultimately peace. So let's look at the final one. And it's called literacy rates. Now, what's interesting about this little scale here is I want to show you how it developed since 1650, which was just right after the Protestant Reformation. Literacy rates exploded in Western Europe. And then in 1700s, they started growing. They didn't quite chart America yet, but what what happens as soon as they chart America, guess what? They have 100% literacy. Isn't that amazing? Boom, just like that in the 1800s. And then it starts to grow into Roman Catholic nations, and then it starts to grow across the globe just in the last 20 years. Now, what today what you'll see is that literacy rates are close to 100% in countries and nations that were influenced or the predominant population are Protestant Christians. The second highest is Roman Catholic Christians. The third highest is Eastern Orthodox Christians. And then what you'll see is uh, fourth is Islamically influenced nations. And then the ones with the lowest literacy rates are in sub-Saharan countries or nations that are, are non-monotheistic. So we see that even today. So what does that tell you? Well, that tells you that people of God, particularly Protestant Christians, have a high value on allowing people to know how to read so that they can go. And this is what it originally started uh, just over 500 years ago in the Protestant Reformation was that you should be able to read the Bible in your own language. So you can read it for yourself, find the answers for yourself, and see your own faith grow. So there you have it. There you have it right there. Are you living the best way now? Start thinking about it. This is my challenge to you this week. Start thinking about what is the best way to live your life. And I think you'll see history and data pointing you towards considering Jesus Christ is the best way to follow. Now, you may be new and you may have a question or you want to go deeper. You may be a person that's been nominally religious for a while and you want to recommit your life to God and you want to re-engage with your community of faith. Maybe you're a part of Foothills and you need someone to pray with you right now. Well, guess what? We have a Zoom meeting that is starting right now. There's pastors, elders, and leaders on this Zoom meeting right now. Here is the meeting ID number. Go to Zoom, type in this number, and then put in a password. It's very very easy. It's right here. This will stay up for a while. You can just jump over there and you can start your next step. Because my challenge is I, and my hope and my prayer is that you will find the best way to live and that you will start living that way. Thank you for being here today. And we're now going to close the service for everyone with our host. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.